Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Exodus chapter 14. I don't think I told y'all that. Exodus 14. You know, we spent the last couple Sundays talking about the posture of our heart. The posture of our heart. The way in which we receive the word of God when it is ministered, when it is spoken. The the heart posture determines your response to the word. And your response to the word is what ultimately determines its effectiveness in your life. Your response to the word is ultimately what determines its effectiveness in your life. And in any any arena or any area of life that I could minister, if I came up here and ministered on parenting, if I came up here and ministered on marriage, the love of God, the Holy Spirit, um, finances, and everything that I just listed off, you took a posture to. When I said the Holy Spirit, some of you were like, yep. Some of you are like, nope. When I mentioned... Uh, parenting. Don't talk to me about my kids. Don't talk to me how about how to raise my kids. Usually the thing that we don't want to hear might be the very thing we need to hear. We need to be more sensitive to the posture of our heart when certain things are ministered on. And if there is a little, uh, that might not be an indicator that the sower is off. It might be an indicator that the soil is not right. That the soil is not right. It's sometimes when you get into a topic or you get into a subject, I have to kind of lay some foundation and I have to lay some groundwork. And what I'm really doing is, um, I don't know what you call it. Maybe, Kimberly, you could help me out. Uh, there's this tool that's got these spikes on the bottom of it that you put in the ground and you twist it to, to toil the ground. Is there a name for that? There, there's a, there's a, it's a name. It's the spike twister thingy. Um, y'all know a tiller? A tiller? Um, so, and I'm sure, you know, in today's day, you know, in farming and technology that there are ways to do that on, on larger scales and more effectively. But But I know that I, I've, I've seen individuals just, you know, in a little garden in their home or something, they'll take this thing and they're, twi- and they're going and breaking up that soil so that when the seed goes in, you know, what's interesting about the sun is the same sun that melts the ice can harden the clay. The same sun that can melt the ice and soften something can also dry out and harden something, and it depends on the environment, it's, it depends on the work that we put in, whether it's going to receive that seed or not. And so there are times that I have to lay the groundwork. I remember when Pastor Earl, in, in June of 2009, he ministered and, and taught on the kingdom of God, the subject of the kingdom of God the first time. But really, if you go back in May of 2009, he ministered on the unseen realm, the unseen principle. And what he was doing was he was building up to and laying a foundation so that when we heard the word of the kingdom, we would more easily receive it. 
Jesus would do this. Jesus would minister along a certain vein to break up the soil and to uh, engage the heart a little more so that he could drop a bomb or drop a seed and it would be more received. Now, of course, even especially in Jesus's ministry, not everybody received his word. In the, old, in, the, in the New Testament, we had Pharisees. But in the Old Testament, we had pharaohs. And they both did the same thing, hardened their heart to the word of God, and therefore did not receive the word of God. So our posture is so incredibly important. I would encourage you, uh, if you missed the last two weeks, um, and, you know, even if you were here, those, those two messages, the last two Sundays, need to be messages that you have on repeat on some level, maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, you know, and, and I would say the harder the heart, the more we need to listen to. But, the, the, but here's the thing about the posture of your heart is the word of God is not what changes the posture of the heart. The word of God is not what changes. In fact, the word of God could be the very thing that actually reinforces the posture that you had when you came in. If you had a hard heart when you came in, it may harden your heart even more. If you had a soft and moldable and teachable heart when you came in, it may make you even more pliable and softened to respond and yield to the word of God. But the word of God is not what softens or, or is not what is going to, to create that transformation. That's only by what the power of God can do and your yieldedness. I said this a few weeks ago, that redemption always occurs where there is yieldedness. Redemption always occurs where there is yieldedness. Anything that you want redeemed, you must first yield. Redemption is a response to yieldedness. Redemption is a response to a submitted heart, a submitted posture. And when we are submitted, then God can redeem. Jesus has never redeemed anything or anyone that was not yielded. We know in the end, it, the word tells us this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord, right? Does that mean everyone will be saved? It does not. It means that everybody will acknowledge at some point in their life, but some will acknowledge, but not out of yieldedness. It's only the yielded that will be redeemed. It's only the yielded, those that submitted willfully, not were forced or, or, or come to a recognition after it's too late. There is a, a, a yieldedness of heart that is necessary, a submitted heart, a submitted posture. Many times, um, if I have to go into either a challenging, confrontational, um, you know, counseling type environment, whether it's one that I have to address or one that someone's coming to me with, I spend a few moments just trying to determine yieldedness. Because that may determine my course 
of action. The yieldedness may be the thing that determines uh, how I address the issue. It's the posture of the heart. It's the posture of the heart. God is always trying to get us to a posture that is receptive. Remember we said this last week, receptive and responsive. Receptive and responsive. I must receive the word, then I must respond to the word. I must receive it in my heart. A seed that's not received, a seed that falls on the wayside, or a seed that gets choked out, then it can't become fruitful. And then my response is to apply it, meditate, do it, right? Dwell on it. Give the word my attention. Give the word my focus. Can't become distracted, can't become unfocused, right? All these things are so important. All these elements are so important so that I can fulfill the plan of God to my life. I can fulfill his word in my life. Just because the word is sown doesn't mean it becomes fruitful. Just because the word is ministered doesn't mean that it becomes engaged by my heart and then releasing the fruit of the word. Does that make sense? Okay. Exodus chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 1, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before that word. Between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Now, if you remember, this is the nation of Israel, the Israelites that were once bound in slavery by the Egyptians, over 400 years in slavery, to the point now that at their moment of deliverance, all they knew was slavery. Slavery is an interesting, interesting element. Slavery and, and bondage is, is an interesting element in the word of God. Uh, you know that the Israelites being delivered is a depiction, a picture, a type and shadow of us prior to salvation enslaved by the enemy, enslaved by the world, enslaved by his desires, right? Enslaved by our own flesh. And then when they were delivered out of Egypt, when Moses came into, that's a depiction of when Christ set us free. Colossians 1 tells us that we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, right? We all know that that transition takes place. He says, he actually gives a depiction that you were transferred from one territory to another. You were, you were brought out of slavery and brought out of bondage by one nation, and now you have been brought into freedom to the kingdom of God. But slavery is, is, is interesting. You could really sum up the life of the believer in this one statement. Your life after you come to Christ is to make sure you never prefer the comfort of slavery over the burden of freedom. I'll say that again. Never prefer 
the comfort of slavery. Yes, I said comfort. Over the burden of freedom. That's your life in the kingdom of God. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous when you think of slavery in the context of being bound and being told what to do. And then we think of freedom as being free to do whatever we want to do. But we usually have both definitions incorrect. Our idea of slavery is incorrect and our idea of freedom is also incorrect. Because this is what I hear people say. Well, when I was, before I was born again, I got to do whatever I wanted to do. Oh, wait, I thought that was slavery. And now that I'm in the kingdom, now I have to follow this book. Oh, wait, I thought that was bondage. And now we see our past life as freedom, and we see our current redeemed saved life as slavery and bondage. How did that happen? How did the roles reverse? And we'll look at several passages today that will show us that the Israelites did the same exact thing. The Israelites did the same exact thing. And I know we read it, we hear the stories. How crazy that someone would be delivered from Egypt and from slavery and from bondage. Get into a wilderness of freedom and complain. And argue. And quarrel. And the word actually tells us, test God and rebel against God. That's literally what they did. In freedom. Not only that, but they desired to go back to slavery. Had we just stayed in Egypt. Had we just remained. Had we just, at least in Egypt. It's amazing how slavery becomes enticing. When the burden of freedom shows up. What is this burden of freedom? What is this? What is this being enslaved to the kingdom of God? And how do we live that accurately? So that I don't respond like these Israelites. It's the posture of my heart. It's the posture of my heart. In verse 4, it says this. Thus, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Just a little side note right here on verse 4. It says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after them. You don't have to raise your hand, but just think to yourself, anybody in in this room in life, you've got things chasing after you. You got, it seems like trouble on all sides. You got challenges facing you. You got, it's okay to admit that there's, there's struggles and challenges that you're facing, that, that, that there's a, a, a you're, you're looking for victory, you're believing for victory, but if you're believing for victory, that means that you're in a test. If you're believing for victory, that means that there is a battle. The very essence that you are seeking victory indicates that you are up against something that you need to conquer or overcome or seek victory over. John chapter 16, verse 33, we just saw it. Understand that The trials and tribulations are actually the very foundation upon which we see God's glory manifest. 
God's, the, the trials and tribulations are the very bedrock that we see his miraculous, a miracle is bringing something into alignment. That means it was out of alignment. That means it was out of place. So recognizing that there are things that are chasing us, things that are coming after us, things that even you've been delivered from. He's already delivered them at this point. This is after the 10 plagues. This is now, uh, just to catch you up, they, Moses has now led them up to the Red Sea. So they're up against the Red Sea. They've fled Egypt. And now uh, uh, Pharaoh is coming and chasing after them. And this is what he says about it. He says, um, I have hardened his heart. He will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Why did God bring Pharaoh's army out to the Red Sea to chase them across it? Because he knew they couldn't swim. Two of you got it. Your victory is in that verse right there. Because he wants you to see beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is God, that he will move, that he will conquer your enemies on your behalf and fight for you and fight with you. He wants you to watch with your own two eyes them sink into the Red Sea behind you, that he just delivered you and brought you across. And if you would have that uh, perspective and that perception and that audacity and that boldness when a challenge comes, say, you dare to follow me out here? I will watch you die in the Red Sea behind me. I will watch my God conquer you. I will watch you go under. In any element of life where you're facing a struggle or facing a challenge, just know that God is ready to move and work on your behalf. And now you get to see his miracle working power, his signs and wonders, his warring uh, attitude and response to those things that, that oppose and come against his people. You get to watch it on display. You get a front row seat at watching your enemies get plundered. They dared to follow you out. They will die right where they followed you to. Okay, I, I tried. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. Now, this is not a good change of heart because the posture that was changed from was he said, get out of here, take all your stuff, take it all with you. I don't want anything to do with you. Now his change of heart is let's go get them. We can still conquer these people. Wait, where are they at? They're up against the Red Sea? Oh, man, they're trapped. We got them. We got them right where we want them. Go get them. And he sends out an army. He had a change of heart toward the people and says, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now, here's the thing you have to know about the word of God when it comes, because Pharaoh had multiple opportunities to get it right. Pharaoh had multiple, and so do you. Out of God's mercy, he will present to you many opportunities. I mean, what if he treated us all like he treated Adam, his first son, the perfect son? The first time Adam missed it. No, go to the corner and think about it. No, I'm going to count to three. No slap on the wrist. No verbal warning, then a written warning, then suspension, then expulsion, right? 
No. Utter termination. Removal from the garden. Loss of authority. Loss of dominion. Right there on the spot. With Adam and Eve. You know, Pastor Earl said this a few weeks ago uh, in our Kingdom Rise. I think that was, what, last weekend? He said, if sin paid out immediately, we would all do it less. <laughs> Let's just be real. I'll preach a word today. And I pray the posture of your heart is to receive it. Pray the posture of your heart is to be receptive and responsive. But some of us have misaligned ourselves when it comes to mercy and grace. Some Christians sin knowing that they can repent. They've had the thought, I've been there. I do this because I know the Lord will forgive me. And we don't really understand forgiveness and repentance. Forgiveness takes care of your past, but repentance is supposed to take care of your future. Forgiveness takes care and cleanses the past to make sure that you can't ever hold your past in front of God and say, well, this, and he's going to say, what are you talking about? I forgave you. And when God forgives, he forgets. It tells us that he throws it into the sea, that he cast it as far as the east is from the, from the west, that you are actually trying to remind God of something that he has removed from his memory. That's what forgiveness does. But repentance is not an I'm sorry. We talk about repentance and we say what? It means to change your thinking. But it also means this, to turn a, com a complete 180. So if you ask for forgiveness and then we go back to the same act or repeating the same cycle, we haven't repented. We need to go ahead and clarify this. Repentance means I don't return. Repentance means I don't go back to. Repentance means I don't tolerate, I don't make room for, I don't accept. Repentance is a posture of the heart, not just an action. Repentance is saying on the inside, I no longer want anything to do with that. Now here's the thing. Every time God came to Pharaoh and gave him an opportunity to have a change of heart, and to respond properly, to respond to the word accordingly. Every time Pharaoh refused, it became harder to do it right the next time. It says, I have hardened his heart. Now, God didn't go to his heart and harden it. He said, I've hardened it by bringing the word to him time and time again. But because the posture of his heart wasn't in a receptive and responsive posture to receive the word and then respond in like manner in obedience to my word and align yourself. His heart became hardened every time, became more desensitized. So guys, we're actually fooling ourselves when we run back to sin that we believe that we have repented of. It's mind manipulation. 
You're manipulating yourself thinking. Because here's the thing. Repentance is for one purpose and one purpose alone. To align yourself with heaven. Repentance is for the purpose of aligning yourself with heaven. I'm going to teach today. I'm not going to get real preachy because I got to talk. Repentance is for the purpose of aligning yourself with heaven. Aligning your purpose, aligning your views, aligning your perspectives, aligning your agenda, aligning your will, your intentions, your ideas with heaven. That is the purpose of repentance. And anytime I come into, and this is not just talking about sin. There's many things I've had to repent from. That made me, maybe didn't fall into a sin category. Remember what Jesus came preaching. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he saying? I'm bringing a message. He wasn't just saying repent from your sins. He was saying repent from your way of doing things. Repent from the way you think. Repent from the way you talk. Turn a 180. You were going this direction. Repent so that you can receive my kingdom. And so every time I make the choice to repent, I am actually completely turning myself and aligning myself with heaven. It's amazing how many times we expect and want to see heaven move on our behalf, yet we don't want to move on heaven's behalf. God needs a church that is aligned with heaven. You cannot bring heaven if we are not aligned with heaven. And your very purpose and your very reason of existence is so that heaven comes. And I know they told you that the whole reason and and the whole reason why we go to church and read the Bible and pray and do all those things is so one day we can go to heaven. But I'm telling you that Jesus was not interested in getting you to heaven. Jesus was interested in getting heaven to you. Religion says you got to do this, 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 and this to get up here. The kingdom says, I'm going to bring it down here. And because I brought it down here, now you can do this, 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 and this. Do you want religion or do you want heaven? Do you want to check a bunch of boxes? Or do you want heaven on earth? And every time God came and approached Pharaoh with, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. He's giving him another opportunity, but he's also recognizing in every opportunity, you're either inviting my will and my plan or you're hardening yourself against it. And I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another chance. Those pharaohs, they, they, they didn't realize it, but every time they snuck into the house and stood in the back, Every time they were in the midst of the crowd, but hiding and sneakily, you know, trying to catch him in something and test him in something. Or every time they approached him and said, hey, we caught this woman in adultery. Uh, What are you going to do? Every time they approached him, it was actually an invitation to invite the plan of God and the will of God into their hearts. And every time that they did not respond in like manner, their heart became hardened even more to the plan of God. So much so that they killed the Son of God. They killed the very Messiah they believed that they were waiting for, looking for, and longing for. How hard of a heart that we would actually seek to destroy the very thing we thought we were inviting. And we become desensitized.
God will always give us every opportunity and the best opportunity possible to yield to his way. God will always give you the best opportunity and every opportunity to yield. But sometimes we mismanage mercy. Let me tell you what mercy is. It's delayed wrath. It's delayed. Just because he's not carrying it out immediately doesn't mean one day he won't. We need more righteousness, holiness, and, 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 and what does the word say preaching in the church back in the church today? And I'm doing this with as much of a compassionate and gracious heart as I can because this is the end of, this is, this is it, guys, that, that, that I am held responsible for what I deliver to you. There are many pastors today that have shied away from hitting certain things and discussing certain things and preaching certain things because they have uh, more of an agenda to appease the people than to appease God. And I'm not in that category. I'm, I, I do not associate with those that do such things. You are too vital. You are too valued. You are too uh, 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 gifted and anointed and talented. And, and he's done too much for you. He paid too high of a price for me to stand here and water it down. He's done too much, guys. Mismanaged mercy and misappropriated grace. And, 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 and we, we manipulate that and we confuse it. We, we, we confuse it with acceptance. We confuse it with acceptance. I mean, you don't need me to stand here and tell you that time is drawing near. Fox News and CNN, they do a good enough job. I don't need to preach that. I don't need to re-preach that sermon. They can preach it better than I can. And this isn't to motivate you out of fear. This isn't, I'm telling you that you have a God that loves you. I have a, I'm telling you that you have a God that has created you, designed you, destined you with the greatest purpose on this planet. He's put more in you than you even know is in there. And there's an enemy that wants to condemn. There's a thief that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. There's, there's someone that wants to come. And, and the very thing that he wants to keep you from is righteousness. Righteousness means this, to be right in, or be in right alignment with the governing authority. Alignment is the key, to be in alignment with heaven. Because as I'm made righteous, now I can align myself with his purpose and his plan, and I can bring that forth and bring it, and bring it to pass. This is not just about standing before Jesus and answering for all that I've done, whether sinfully or rightfully. This is about bringing his purpose and his plan to this earth. You want to be righteous. You want to live a holy life. You want to live a life according to the word of God and how he has designed it. It's the best life. The blessing is in the boundary. The blessing is in the boundary. While we're, we're away, the boy's grandparents came and, and, and stayed. We're just so thankful for them, Ashley's parents. Drove up here and stayed the whole week with the boys. They just, you know, loved them. The boys loved them. Just had a wonderful time. But they told us, you know, it's a funny story now, but, but you know, they couldn't find Austin. And he's a year and a half for those of you that don't know. 
year and a half, and we have a two-story house. You know where this is going. Can't find Austin. And I think Camden eventually, Camden's 11, eventually goes upstairs and finds him in his room. Well, how did he get up there? He had to use the stairs. A one-and-a-half-year-old using stairs, that's not exactly what you want. Proud of him for making it all the way up there. Great job. But at our stairs, we have this little gate that you pull off the wall, and then you lock it in place so you can't get up there, obviously. What does that do? It creates a boundary, and the boundary creates blessing. Because on the other side of that gate is stairs that you could potentially fall down and have a bad day with. But the blessing's within the boundary. Adam and Eve had a boundary. Do not eat of. The blessing was every other tree of the Garden of Eden. And when I tow that boundary... I fell into sin. Well, if, if I stay away from the boundary, even if I stumble and fall, I ain't. I'll look at her once, but then the second time is yours. Hello, men in the room. Billy Graham said, the first look is natural, the second look is yours. So am I going to toe the line and, ooh, yeah. Or I'm coming over here, look, oh, yep, nope. I've got a wife, she's more precious than gold and silver. <laughs> Gift of God to me. Come on. There's a boundary, and then there's, some of us are just grateful to be on this side of the boundary. And you ought to be, because you couldn't get here by yourself. God's redemption and God's love and God's gift of salvation and gift of righteousness, man. You are the righteous. Man, this, this here, I want to get more into, man, I don't even want the boundary to be calling my name anymore. I don't want the boundary to be saying, hey, come over here, enticing me and saying, you know, it's okay, just one time. And before you know it, you're right back on the other side where God has made paid every price for you to live here and live in the abundance of his glory and the abundance of his freedom and the abundance of his power. It's not just a matter of what are the boundaries, but where is the boundary in your life? Righteousness is so important to God that he watched his son die for it, his only son. Value is often revealed in what you would give up. I don't know about you, that's a pretty high value. I mean, I can't think of one thing I'd give up one of my sons for, and I've got two of them. He only had one. Nothing in this world that would say, you can have that so I can have. And God said, so I can have many sons, I'll lay down my only son. With no guarantee that you and I would receive the gift that he gave. I mean, I would barely do it if I had a guarantee. But if somebody came to you and said, somebody came to me and said, if you give me your son, I might give you this. It's not happening. 
That righteousness was so important to him that he said, I'm willing to lay down my one and only son. Out of mercy, God continues to come. Out of mercy. The Bible tells us in the end there will be those that will not endure sound doctrine. But guess what's going to keep coming? Sound doctrine. The same word also tells us that in the last days, people will be heaping up for themselves teachers, meaning that the word will be more available than it's ever been in the, in the history of mankind. Are we seeing that today? The, we have this book is so accessible today. The, the, we, we can get it anywhere in any language, in any version. If you don't like a version, make up a new version. And that's what it says. They will heap up to themselves teachers that tickle their ears. That means tell them what they want to hear. We won't have a shortage of podcasts and blogs in preachers, in ministries, and churches. We'll have a shortage of sound doctrine, but the Bible says that there will be a day when people won't even endure sound doctrine. But guess what's going to keep coming? Sound doctrine. He's going to keep giving you every opportunity. And the posture of my heart when that sound doctrine comes, the posture of my heart when the word is ministered, the, the posture of my heart determines, is it going to be hardened more? Or did I come in with a soft and pliable heart? If you came in with a hardened heart today, maybe you need to leave and come back. Used to do that. Had a teacher do that in elementary school. You got a bad attitude, walk back out, get it right, and walk back in. Try again. I'll do that with Camden. Try again. Make me a sandwich. Uh, try that again. I'll give you another chance. May I please have a sandwich? Door dasher. You have to hear the last two weeks to understand the reference. If you weren't here, <laughs> just door dashing. Hallelujah. We can have fun in church, and we can still talk about standards and values, can't we? Because we serve the greatest king in all the planet. He's so merciful. Worship team, if you come, I just feel the spirit of God just right in this moment. I don't. Need to go much further. Hallelujah. I've got like a thousand verses I was going to hit today, and I've hit six of them. When forgiveness doesn't result in repentance, rebellion occurs. When forgiveness doesn't result in repentance, meaning 
Forgiveness is what Christ did. Repentance is what I did. It's my posture. It's my response. And if I don't respond to his forgiveness and saying, I will never go back to it again. Rebellion occurs. Rebellion is a, a, a hardened posture against the will of God. Rebellion is a posture that sees what the word is, what the plan is, what his will is, and says, no, I won't do that. No, I won't have anything to do with that. Or maybe you've turned back to what you were freed from. Maybe the posture of your heart wasn't, I don't want what you want. Maybe the posture was, I still want what I want, but it's the same. A yes to the things that, are, that God is against is a no to the things God is for. The love of God is incredible. The Bible says Paul prayed for the church that you would know the breadth and the width and the length and the height. The love of God. The love of God. But something that's not talked about a lot, maybe we'll get into it in these coming weeks, is love and hate coincide. You, you, you can't accurately love something without hating its alternate version. The reason why God loves you so much is because he hates sin so much. What you hate regulates what you love. It's connected. It's connected. Now, what God hates is not our motive, and it wasn't his motive. It doesn't say, for God hated sin so much that he sent his son into the world. It says, for God loved the world so much. But in loving the world, he also we want a God that loves unconditionally, but a God that hates conditionally. What I mean is, we want a God that loves us in spite of anything, but his hate isn't at the same measure of his love. But a God that loves unconditionally also has an unconditional hate towards sin. The things that we practice, the things that we pursue, the things that we go after, the things that Consume us. He, he, he hates them. He, he hates them with the passion. I heard a quote this week. said, God's anger is aimed at whatever interferes with what he loves. God's anger is aimed at whatever interferes. He loved you so much and hated sin so much that he sent his only son to do something about both. To both eradicate sin and to save you and empower you and equip you. 
And this issue of repentance is so important because it helps me align my view of sin the way he views it. See, when God poured out his forgiveness on you and I repent, what I'm saying is I see that the way you see it. I see that as damaging as you see it. I see that as destructive as you see it. That's what repentance does. It aligns me with heaven. It aligns my will and my plan. Any area where lordship is challenged or confronted, we haven't yet repented. Any area where you recognize I still want, even though I know, even though it's been confronted, that's an area where I haven't yet repented. Maybe I asked for forgiveness. Maybe I said I'm sorry, but I haven't fully turned a 180 from one side to the other and in pursuing the things of God. And in these last days, the church is going to have to get hard after, run hard after the things that God runs after. That his values need to become my values. His plans need to become my plans. His standards need to become my standards. Because it's compromising my alignment. If I'm not aligned, then I can't bring. If I'm not aligned, I can't bring. stand with me we love to sing songs like see a victory and you are my champion and this is just one of those services I'm thankful for his victory I'm thankful for the blessings but God's wanting to do a work this morning wanting to do a work. As the word comes, as the word is sown, does it harden or does it soften? You become receptive and responsive. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.